Hello, Bettys. Welcome to the show. Before we get to our guest today, I just wanted to let you know that we have such an epic list of guests coming up in March. We are talking about menopause. We're talking about autoimmunity. We're talking about muscle building. We're talking about recovery practices. And I don't want you to miss any of it. Even if you are listening to the podcast, you may not necessarily be subscribed. So you're going to have to manually go into your podcast app and press play. I would love for you to hit that subscribe button so that you are getting the podcast as they are released. It's going to make me oh so happy to know that you are a subscriber of the pod. You are officially a Betty in the Bettyverse. And of course, you are never going to miss an episode and be the first to know when it drops. Thank you so much. We can leverage plant chemicals for our own health and wellness, but even more of those fungal chemicals are even more bioavailable to our body because they are part of our evolution. Welcome to Better with Dr. Stephanie. I am your host, Dr. Stephanie Estima. This show is for women just like you with a deep desire for learning, self-actualization, and becoming more of who you already are. Every week, we are going to deconstruct how to build better bodies, better minds, better relationships, better sex, and better families. I'll be giving you access to world-class thought leaders to help give you the tools to answer this question. What are the simplest things that you can do today to get better tomorrow? I am part geek, part magic, and want to share the juiciest questions, topics, and often taboo conversations that I think I've always wanted to be a part of and I wanted to be having. So let's get better together. Hey, buddies, welcome back to Better with Dr. Stephanie. It's me, your host, Dr. Stephanie Estima. And today I have a conversation with Taro Isakopula. He is the founder of Four Sigmatic, which is a mushroom company. He is himself a Finnish nomad turned fungi loving foodpreneur. He is a 13th generation food farmer from Finland. And today we go on a geeky magic carpet ride on all things mushrooms and adaptogens. And so we distinguish between culinary mushrooms, something that you might see in the grocer, a portobello or a white button versus more functional mushrooms. And we talk about things like lion's mane and chaga and reishi and some of the benefits that those have to the brain and body. We talk about the history of human beings and mushrooms, how medicinal mushrooms can help you regulate your immune system, which is kind of an important thing in today's day and age. But we talk about it in the specific context of post and pre-workout mushrooms that you might consider to augment your performance, your VO2 max. Um, we talk about how to incorporate medical mushrooms into a routine, how long it takes to notice the benefits of these of these adaptogens. And then of course, what the heck is an adaptogen anyway? So we, of course, define that because adaptogen is a word that is very much used, um, we'll say ad nauseum in... Um, in today's day and age. And then we finish with um, something really interesting, which is the origins of Santa Claus. It's not what you think. Uh, it's definitely not the Coca-Cola holding, polar bear loving, uh, red jolly man who stuffs himself in through chimneys. There is quite a bit of uh, hard evidence to suggest that this is a has its origins uh, in psychedelics. So you'll want to listen to the end for that cliffhanger. And I am also, uh, you'll see in the show notes, some links on where to find Tarot. I love his product and we have um, 
a relationship with their company. So there's a there's a link in the show notes to get you 10% off of anything you buy for Sigmatic. Highly recommend the Lion's Mane. Love it. Um, so without further delay, please enjoy my conversation with Taro Isocopola. I am a huge fan of the Bio Optimizers Magnesium Breakthrough. It has seven forms of magnesium, which is going to help to transform your stress and your performance and your recovery and your sleep to the next level. I'm often asked like, well, what are the types of magnesium we should be looking for? So there's magnesium chelate and citrate and bisglycinate and malate, sucrosomial, taurate and orotate. They have various effects on the body. Bisglycinate, probably the most bioavailable and most absorbable. Malate, it's found naturally in fruits, helps with migraines. Chronic pain has been shown to help improve depression. Magnesium citrate uh, helps with arterial stiffness. It helps with maintaining a healthy weight. Magnesium chelate is important for muscle building, recovery and health, the list goes on and on. You're basically getting them all in one supplement. Each supplement itself is 500 milligrams of magnesium, which I feel is such a great dosage as a great baseline for most women. I have found a beautiful medium of actually cycling my magnesium. So I actually will take one or two of these. So I'm either getting 500 milligrams or up to a gram of magnesium, depending on where I am in my cycle. So head on over to biooptimizers.com forward slash better and use code better for 10% off of any order, but make sure that the magnesium breakthrough is in your cart. Don't be fooled by the frigid temperatures. Keeping hydrated in the wintertime is super important. In colder temperatures, we sweat more due to a higher metabolic demand of trying to maintain a core body temperature. We lose more fluids and electrolytes through our urine. We lose more water through respiration and just general breathing. And our skin dries out in the wintertime as well. We are a ski family, and over this winter, we have been using Elementee's Chocolate Medley. The chocolate chai is absolutely incredible with some boiling water, a splash of milk. And my kids love the chocolate mint with some hot water. This is our apres-ski. We cozy up with Element Hot After Hours on our cross-country trails. Now, for a limited time, you too can get the Element Tea Chocolate Medley and enjoy them hot, as I have been doing, with this exclusive insider bundle for you. When you buy three boxes of any flavor, it doesn't have to be the chocolate, it can be any of the flavors that they offer, you are going to get the fourth box free. If you head over to drinkelement.com forward slash Dr. Estima, you'll see that exclusive offer at the bottom of the page. That's D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T.com forward slash D-R-E-S-T-I-M-A. And tell me which of the chocolate melody you love the best. Buckle up. Let's go. Um, Taro Isakopala, I'm so excited to welcome you to the Better Podcast. Welcome. Yeah, I'm so happy to be here. Yeah. And we uh, we were just talking. We have lots of uh, lots of mutual friends and I have been consuming uh, your product, uh, some of the uh, mushroom coffees at Four Sigmatic for many years. So this is really, I'm really excited to have you on. We're going to be talking a lot about some of the uh, energetic and healing and adaptogenic properties that many mushrooms um, have. Before we do that, though, I thought it would be, you know, setting the stage to really understand why we should be listening to you. I know that you are a 13th, 13th generation farmer. Talk to us a little bit about your upbringing. I know mom and dad were kind of had very different, um, 
uh, we'll say careers, but I think both of those were very instrumental in shaping uh, who you are today and your understanding of the lay of the land and mushrooms and adaptogens in general. Yeah, of course. So I grew up in Finland, which is a small country in Northern Europe. Um, funny enough, now very trendy, both for tourism, but also voted, I believe, four times in a row, the happiest country in the world, um, which is always hilarious to us Finns. Um, and I grew up on a farm. So my parents are the 12th generation. Me and my brother are the 13th. We, we now manage the farm. Uh, and then our kids will be the 14th. And my dad is an agronomist, which is a fancy way of saying he's a professional farmer. So he's educated farmer. And he is obsessed with trees and soil. And that gave me a lot of like the, the applied version of food and agriculture. And then my mom taught physiology and anatomy to nurses. So she had more of the science. Weirdly enough, my dad is very conventional and my mom was always like more open to the holistic and progressive. Um, and yeah, then I studied chemistry and nutrition. I randomly discovered a rare mushroom 15 years ago and won an innovation award for it and um, have spent about- You discovered years. a rare mushroom. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's a long story by itself, but me and uh, a friend of mine won this innovation award for discovering this species that was only, um, a, it's a subspecies of one of the most expensive foods in the world. It's, it's kind of like, it's a mushroom species. It's kind of like the truffle for the Japanese that was only thought to grow in Hokkaido, which is the Northern part of Japan. And then the species has a sister species growing up in in where i grew up and then we won this innovation award for it but um but yeah about 20 years working with adaptogens 10 years i've been running a company called four sigmatic which is you know trying to educate and distribute these functional mushrooms and adaptogens to the world I love that. So talk to us a little bit about the history, uh, maybe in the evolution of humans and mushrooms. Because one of the things I find most interesting is that we have receptors in the brain and we have receptors throughout the body for mushrooms. So whether you're looking to take medicinal mushrooms or we might get into the, we might get into psychedelics today as well. Um, those all have profound, you can have profound impacts through the body and even in protected areas, like neurologically protected areas like the brain. So talk to us a little bit about how humans and mushrooms have co-evolved uh, together um, over the, over, you don't have to do the whole history, but like a, a general, a general overview of how we've evolved together. Yeah. That's actually a great, great question because it sets the stage for a lot of things, things that we already know, but also potentially future research that is about to be unlocked both with psychedelics and these healthy functional mushrooms. So, you know, the world is, call it 4.5 billion years old. We've been here 100, maybe 200,000 years as is the current version of Homo sapiens. The fungi have been around for 2.4 billion years at least. So they were the first thing to come out of the ocean to the dry land. And they are similar to fungi and animals actually share ancestry. And there's a lot of similarities where we're much closer to fungi, all animal species, than we are to plants. So fungi, for example, need to breathe oxygen and expel CO2. Plants are the opposite. But another interesting thing is fungi need to... Um, get their own external food they can produce photosynthesis like plants so 
there was no food on the planet, so they would digest rocks for the first over a billion years. So they use enzymes to break down things. And this will be relevant as, as we go on. So, But because of the similar ancestry, we... Um, so fungi is its own kingdom, maybe taking one step back. So there's plants, animals, fungi, bacteria, and then various single cell creatures. Um, and often in health and wellness, we forget bacteria and fungi, and they have kind of had this discrimination as we've battled if we should eat plants or animals. But actually where you find bacteria is where you find fungi. And both of these kingdoms uh, cohabit us. So we, there's bacteria and fungi on our skin, on our gut. So besides the microbiome, there's a microbiome. And because of this history and DNA similarity, uh, we're very prone to fungal diseases. So that's the negative. But then fungal medicine or healing properties and compounds are very bioavailable to us because they're so familiar. So we can leverage plant chemicals for our own health and wellness, but even more of those fungal chemicals are even more, call it bioavailable for lack of a, a broad word, to our body because they are part of our evolution. I love that. And there are some, and so there are some, and we'll get into lion's mane and some of the other ones in a moment, but there are some compounds in some of these mushrooms that can cross, let's say, neurologically protective sites like, you know, the blood brain barrier, for example, where it is incredibly difficult. And just for just for context for the for the listener, and of course, I have a very educated audience. So some of you already know this, but the blood brain barrier is basically the uh, brain's way of, uh, you know, having, let's say, bouncers at the gate, like it only lets a couple of things in. So we have, you know, heroin and, you know, opioids. Opioids, for example, can cross the blood-brain barrier, but very few medications, very, very few medications can actually cross the blood-brain barrier, which has made some of the, uh, we'll say, you know, research and, you know, finding the cure for some of these brain-based diseases, Parkinson's and Alzheimer's, uh, Huntington's disease, et cetera, incredibly difficult. Um, so I think that it's very interesting that we have natural compounds that exist, let's say in lion's mane and in others that can very easily cross the blood brain barrier. And it makes you think like, is there, you know, why is that? Why do we have, why do those, why do those specific compounds have that ability? Yeah. Um, so you're spot on. So the body has multiple layers of protection. One of the most hardest layers is the blood brain barrier and it's to avoid toxins to go to our brain because it would be lethal. So there's an evolutionary purpose why very few things can cross it, glucose and like certain things. Negative is it's hard to get nutrients to the brain. So um, therefore, you know, often not having the right nutrients in the brain could lead over decades or multiple decades into these illnesses. And by the time you have the symptoms, it's often very difficult to do anything because you're so far behind the A curve. Um, so why is it? that fungi such as lions may have the ability to penetrate the blood brain barrier and then help repair and um, protect nerve growth factors in these myelin sheets. Short answer is nobody knows. There are theories. There's theories of panspermia of like actually like life coming to earth because these fungi were found in every in space. So things can grow in space. We now know that. Um, so that's one theory. Other theories is these cohabitant theories of like basically like have been as long as we've been homo sapiens we've also been part fungi so there's these theories of coexistence, uh, but nobody really knows like 
me included. Like I have no clue why certain fungi, and that makes it fun to constantly like learn and and figure out more about our body and the brain specifically. If we look at the history of um, physiology and anatomy studies, it was very organ and muscle centric, right? It was for a long time, and the nervous system and the brain. So if the if the body has eleven systems. And you cover a lot of these systems in this podcast. Um, they're the underlying principles, be it like uh, uh, reproductive system or a digestive system. And happens to be that the the, the nervous system and, and the brain are the areas where there was just so much less research. And it was really not until the '90s was really like the first real decade of the brain, and and we're still in very early stages of figuring these things out. And and for many of these things, we don't have answers today. But yeah, lion's mane is is one of these compounds that are able to penetrate the blood brain barrier. All right. Well, let's let's kind of continue wading into the waters of mushrooms. So let's actually distinguish first. Like you've mentioned, functional mushrooms. Uh, you know, we've talked about psychedelics. What is the difference between, let's say, a culinary mushroom, something that you might find in a grocery store, so like a portobello or a white button or you know a shiitake or something, um, versus what we're talking? Like, why can't you find? I mean, maybe some stores you can now, but why couldn't you, let's say, find chopped up lion's mane or chopped up, um, you know, chaga or something like that? Why can't you find some of those compounds versus uh, the culinary mushroom uh, kingdom? Can you distinguish between those? Those two? Yeah. So first of all, it's a huge kingdom. A lot of the fungal species are even invisible. So they're in the air as we breathe them. Yeasts are part of fungi. So there's a lot of like how you make beer, wine, bread, cheese, all fermented products, sauerkraut. So, you know, they all have this fungal element. Um, but from a this mushroom, which is the fruiting body, the toadstool usually shaped form of fungi there are culinary mushrooms functional mushrooms and psychedelic mushrooms and these are the ones that you could use there's obviously ones that don't fall into any of these threes but you're probably at least likely to consume them so the culinary mushrooms um, such as a portobello are used for mostly for flavor they do have fiber some macro and some micronutrients uh, but in limited capacity this is why they're often mixed with vegetables, even though from a biology point of view, they're nothing to do with vegetables, but the health benefits are somewhat similar. Um, they're usually easy to cultivate and they're used for nutrients. And then the functional mushrooms tend to be growing on trees. So versus the culinary mushrooms tend to grow on the ground or more commonly are like um, easily cultivated on other mediums versus some of the best functional mushrooms grow in the wild or in trees and they're harder they're not all of them because there's an overlap like shiitake is kind of both but a lot of them are inedible meaning that they are not edible raw but you have to like prepare them into a tea or broth and you can't just easily slice and dice them you can't just chop them up and stir fry yeah them. Mm -hmm. yeah and then both of these are completely legal and safe to use. The other one is more for flavor in the culinary and the functional is more for health and wellness benefits. Um, so that's, that's, I would say the big difference. So what about it's the mushrooms that grow on my lawn? What should I be doing with those? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, unlikely you should eat them for your reasons. So first of all, even if you take the best identification experts, so there's people who just focus on identifying fungi. First of all, 
they can identify one or two percent of all the fungi in the world, the best person. Wow. Secondly, they need to put it in a lab and do a spore print to know what that is. So that purely by looking at it, you rarely see it, what it is. And then third, fungi tend to accumulate or even hyperaccumulate toxins. So I don't know what's on your lawn or what's your neighbor's lawn or, mm. but like generally, uh, I wouldn't encourage anybody to eat these, um, these mushrooms growing on your yard. Uh, they're not dangerous for the lawn, but I wouldn't recommend you ever eating them. Right. Awesome. Okay. Good tip. Don't eat the stuff on your lawn. <laughs> no. <laughs> All right. So let's, let's actually talk about what, so you're in your book, Healing Adaptogens, you go through mushrooms, you go through all sorts of uh, tinctures and how to prepare different types of adaptogens. And I think that this word adaptogen is used, uh, well, I mean, what's the word I want to say? It, it's more of a general, I, I think that it's been used so much that it's starting to, we're not really understanding what the actual intent of that, the original use of the word is. So why don't we start with what makes an adaptogen, adaptogen an adaptogen? What are some of the properties that the compound has to have in order to be considered an adaptogen? Great. So those are natural substances, so usually plants and fungi that help balance and protect you from stress. There's three requirements, and it's easier to explain the requirements by telling a short story. So a lot of these compounds that are adaptogens have been used for hundreds of thou or thousands of years, but the name adaptogen comes from the Soviet Union about 70 years ago, where the Soviet army was trying to figure out what can we give to soldiers besides amphetamines and other um, drugs to performance that wouldn't have the letdown or the addictive properties. I, I, for example, had to be in the Finnish Air Force and even we got given, yeah, I, I, I was morphine and stuff like that. So like militaries have been liberal with very addictive compounds in the, in the course of history and today. So this doctor, Dr. Lazaro, and I gathered a group of scientists to study what could help boost performance, cognitive, physical stamina, recovery without the letdown next day and came up with three requirements that all adaptogens should cover. Um, they sound very simple, but only two or three dozen of foods today we know, you know, qualifies. One is that they're safe on every day in a non-toxic way. So a lot of the best herbs we can eat are actually seasonal. So the dandelions, the garlics, the wild hops, they're all amazing, but they're not meant to be had. And there's actually a toxic load that you start to build. Very few things don't have a toxic load. Now, dietary fiber doesn't have a toxic load, but it doesn't qualify the next two things that adaptogens need to have. One is that they restore balance. So a lot of focus in nutrition um, and health and wellness has been on macro and micronutrients on organs and I think what we're more and more realizing, like you podcast often well highlights, is these nano compounds and compounds that impact underlying systems like the endocrine system, for example, and how big of a multiplying effect the healthy endocrine system has to energy production, circulatory system, and so on and so forth. So like what these adaptogens do is they have to restore balance in these body systems. Systemically systemically instead of like a sniper rifle so really these adaptogens don't do anything like hey improve brain power but what they do is they restore balance in systems which increases performance and we can talk about that in detail how that actually works 
But the third, so it's safe and it's these systems. And then third is that they're non-specific, which is sometimes quite hard, quite hard for people to understand. But the same product that can be used for energy can be used for recovery. Ashwagandha might be one example that many people have heard of turmeric that can be used in the morning as you're trying to get energy and productivity, but that could also used in the evening to lower inflammation and sleep better. So that's like, those are examples of products that have this very like, um, usually products are labeled as an upper or downer, but adaptogens are neither or more preferably both. I love that. And I, and I've noticed that as well. Like, so I've used uh, ashwagandha. I was first introduced to it as a, as a stress you know, to help with reducing stress. But I've also noticed that it kind of, whenever you're using any type of adaptogen, so turmeric you mentioned, so I want to, well, maybe we can, uh, you know, pause on turmeric and ashwagandha. It sort of gives you what you need in the moment. So ashwagandha, when I've had it in the morning, I've actually felt like, oh, I feel like I have a little bit, like it's, it's almost warming if, if you will, or it, it's, it's, it's energizing to me, as you mentioned, but it also can be taken with a, you know, a concoction, let's say with cacao or something um, in the evening as something that will help calm you down, which I, which I think is, is, uh, you know, there's, there's no medicine that has ever, to my knowledge anyway, that is able to sort of get into the body and figure out what it is that the body needs once it's there, you know? So yeah, I think there's something really cool about that. A yeah. couple of really quick examples. One of these adaptogens is cordyceps and cordyceps has been proven to increase VO2 max. So how much oxygen can you take and your ATP production? So technically this cellular energy. So imagine like you being at whatever situation you are stressed or busy or whatever. And by having more oxygen in your lungs, you have uh, better circulation, better circulation, more energy, more energy. And that's like a, it's like a positive circle that happens. Similarly, like, a compound like ashwagandha or rishi that helps with the endocrine system, particularly like a lot of the studies are on like HBA axis and the adrenals and stress response. Maybe that allows you to sleep, reach 15, 20 minutes more deep sleep. And then that 15 minutes of more deep sleep then compounds tomorrow into something else. So there's, um, they're much more holistic and regenerative than many other solutions. Um, some of them offer fast results, but they are more of like long-term partners in, in performance. And when we're classifying an adaptogen as a whole, is there any habituation that can take place? So for example, we know that when you take, let's say hormones, for example, people who are doping or people who are even just taking hormone replacement uh, therapy, sometimes there needs to be sort of like a, uh, a backing off of or a break to it so that the so that the 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 endocrine system for example doesn't habituate to it we see this with type 2 diabetics as well they just habituate to the insulin dose right so they keep needing necessitating a higher and higher level of insulin as time goes on do we see that habituation effect with adaptogens is, are they safe for the most part i'm sure there's going to be outliers but are they safe for the most part to take every day yes and that is actually really difficult and really rare so you would think that that's but a lot of the best things we do actually are not okay on a daily basis, and but adaptogens are. So I would say there's like 20 something of these adaptogens that have actually modern research. Maybe there's another 20 that we haven't yet researched enough, but like there isn't that many things that are safe to take, uh, but they are. And uh, um, that's it does help you 
um, in kind of like having confidence on using them, knowing that there isn't like a toxic load the same way as many other herbs that are otherwise good for you or hormonal replacement therapy. Right, right. Okay, let's come back to cordyceps because I was saying to you in the pre-chat, I want to talk about this because this is a very interesting, um, I don't want to say uh, scary, that's not the right word, but it's almost like a parasitic fungi, right? It's almost Mm -hmm. like a, a, a predatory almost type of a type of fungi. So can you explain to us a little bit about cordyceps in cordyceps in the wild? And then you mentioned the VO2 max other, uh, when we're thinking about augmenting performance, uh, I wanted to talk about cordyceps. We can also talk about ginseng and lion's mane kind of in this conversation together, but what would be a, um, you know, would you, would you preload it before a workout? Would you take it after the workout? Like how, what is the best way, you know, based on your, maybe it's, maybe it's based on your goal or your age or your gender or something, but what is the best way to be thinking about cordyceps? Yeah. Cordyceps is a parasitic fungi, which sounds scary. It's actually do. And there is even a BBC documentary about, about cordyceps fungi taking over these bullet ants and basically yes. like c- controlling them. So it's yeah. it's gone viral many times and I think some people might've seen it. Um, it's super safe for humans, but it was discovered in the Himalayans by the Sherpas by observing the yaks, which are the large mammals carrying a lot of goods, were really tired after walking in, in the high altitude. And then they start grazing on this fungi that grows out of different kinds of like larva and whatnot in the high altitude and suddenly they had they had all this energy and sex drive so one of the nicknames of cordyceps is cordyceps um because of this um you know like libido impacting um effects and then the sherpas would take it themselves and notice the same things right so they saw the animal study right and then they did it in the human exactly so yeah so a lot, a lot of, there's a lot of amazing stories like this around the world it happens to be that the Indians and the Chinese were the best at documenting and the Amazon was probably the least good at documenting some of these stories, but that a lot of the original discoveries were like that, like observing animals, observing nature, and then having the courage to try it yourself. And then it works on, um, for many, many, um, centuries, people used it. And then, and then later it's obviously gained a lot of uh, modern research, but yeah, um, how and when to take it is particularly for sports exercise. There's kind of two kinds of benefits, which is, which is actually a good segue to talk about nutrition in general is like, people are like, Hey, how long should I take, you know, vitamin D? How long should I take this and that? I would more look at it is what part of your body are you trying to expect to get results and how quickly does those cells replenish? So let's just say skin, you want a better skin, your skin takes depending on age, genetics, yada, 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 about 30 days to heal. So any routine that is under 30 days seems a little weird to get benefits, right? Moisture level might be the one exception there. But then if you look at energy production, it's really fast. So people who are looking for the um, ATP production benefits of a little bit like caffeine free boost, then pre-workout makes tons of sense. So like having uh, 500 to 1500 milligrams of cordyceps extract um, pre-workout, what, whatever you would take for an, aer- for an aerobic type of workout. No, actually for energy, any type of workout. Okay. So the other part is the VO2 max, which is slightly will take longer based on studies um, 
But to reap the VO2 max benefits, you probably have to be on cordyceps for weeks, if not a month or more, to start accumulating some of those VO2 max benefits. Your lungs will not react as fast as your mitochondria. So again, like let's assume you have spine health issues or brain issues or gut issues, you'd have to know that those systems take months, if not years to heal. So if you have issues with those systems, you need to have a protocol that you can maintain for multiple years sustainably versus if you're trying to heal a system that is much faster reaction, muscular system or, or, you know, circulatory system, you can get benefits today, tomorrow in a week. So I think sometimes I hear like, how long should I take this supplement? I would almost ask, what is the desired effect that you're trying to get? And that would tell, tell you how long the protocol is. And also like, if you have gut issues, you should have the build a sustainable system that you are able to maintain for many months, if not years to truly heal your gut, if you have serious gut issues. So I love that you're saying this because I think that um, I get this question a lot as it pertains to weight loss and balancing hormones and women in, let's say, perimenopause and menopause. And it's like, what supplement should I take? How long do I need to take this for? And it's like, well, that's not, you're asking the wrong question. You know, it's not what supplement I'm going to take or how long. It's like, who do I need to become in order to have the nutrition routine, let's say, or the supplement routine or the exercise routine that's going to yield the the best results over the long term. Because I would assume that anyone who's in, even if you're not in perimenopause, even if you're in your 30s and you're listening to the show and you're like, I just want to live my best life. Your life isn't six weeks. Your life isn't six months. It's not a year. We want to be playing the long game. We want to be thinking about how these things can be spread out over, you know, over the, you know, you wouldn't just, and and this is kind of the example that I, I give to sort of drive this point home is like, you wouldn't exercise for a week or you wouldn't get on the treadmill or go for a walk, let's say, and be like, there, that's it. I did it. I'm fit. You know, it's something that needs to be done over and over again in the same way that you wouldn't eat a salad or, you know, whatever you, you know, constitutes a healthy meal for you and say, there it is. I had my healthy meal. I'm now healthy. It's something that has to be a continuous, there has to be a continuous um, uh, exposure to that stimulus in order to re- in order to reap the response that you're looking for. 100%. And it's, let's take the same exercise. Why are you exercising? If your goal is to become stronger um, or build stronger bones, that's going to take months, if not years, to achieve those results. If your goal is uh, reduce acute stress because you got a bad email or you had a fight with your partner or whatever, and you go for a walk or run, you will reap benefits within 10, 15 minutes, probably, because like, the same exercise that helps you with against osteoporosis versus acute stress at home um, acts different pace because the body systems are either faster or slower to give you the desired result. So, yeah. So for exercise for cordyceps that is looking for pick me up more energy at any type of workout, pre-workout is fine. If your goal is to have higher particularly cardiovascular response and and performance at higher heart rates. Uh, in that case, you probably need to have it for a few weeks uh, and kind of any time of the day, it accumulates and builds up in your body. So 500 to 1500 milligrams, you're saying? Yeah, yeah, per, I would say. Daily. Yeah. yeah, and this is somewhat true for all of these um, 
adaptogens is like you need to have them in some sort of extracted form and um, so you they are not bioavailable by themselves so there's this concept of xenohormasis where these plants or fungi or have built these active bio compounds for themselves they don't do it for us they do it for themselves to protect against their stress therefore a lot of these adaptogens grow in extreme environments you mentioned maca we earlier we talked about how it grows in altitude cordyceps grows in altitude ashwagandha rhodiola in the tundras and they build these compounds but they are protected so usually hot water lipids or some ways to unlock it and then that you probably any product you see on the market that promotes it has 70 80 adaptogens or whatever superfoods has none because just the amount that you would have to consume are much higher so uh, one scoop of some miracle powder that has 80 of these things is unlikely to give you an effective dose based on the modern research. So for my latest book, we went through like a thousand research papers and it's pretty consistent that um, there's slight variations and dosages between adaptogens, but it is some hundreds of milligrams per adaptogen in extractive form to reap benefits. Um, so, yeah. Great. So, Cordyceps is for any type of performance enhancing activity that you want to do. Uh, when you're think when we're trying to distinguish between, let's say, aerobic or anaerobic, because I know that there's going to be, well, for example, when we're lifting weights, sometimes we can, depending on the intensity, uh, you can absolutely move into anaerobic um, system. So, is there um, are there other adaptogens that you might recommend, let's say, pre or post um, for lifting weights and or or cardio? Yeah, and on the anaerobic exercise, I want to say recovery time is pretty big. So even if let's assume you're doing five times five heavy duty, heavy lifting type of workouts with three to five minutes between those sets, still the impact of recovery is a factor. So I would absolutely encourage even people in anaerobic exercises to look into things that improve recovery times. Other very famous things um, pre-workout is rhodiola. It was used by my ancestors, Vikings, before going to battle. Um, it's also used for cognitive support. It's one of the few supplements European Union has said that it's like a natural product that actually in increases cognitive function. But it is it has a compound, rosavin, that improves performance. Shisandra, which is known in a lot of beauty products, but the original research is actually on a lot of like, in it was one of the original Soviet uh, adaptogens. It increases performance um so shisandra rhodiola uh, cordyceps those are some of the things more and more people are using lion's mane for pre-workout as well for nervous system so there is there are people who are worried about uh, nervous system damage or the impact of exercise on the nervous system especially if it's like you know, plyometrics or sprinting and so there's more and more people using that there isn't as much modern research on that, but I think it's a fascinating concept of using lion's mane with your pro-workout. Post-workout, there is turmeric, reishi, um, chaga. In immunity is actually quite, inflammation and immunity would be the factors post-workout that you want to be most acutely aware of, um, is lowering inflammation and then protecting against getting sick. Everybody who's exercised a long time know that one of the biggest problems you have is once you get sick, you have major setbacks. You've made great progress. You have, you're in a row. Then you get sick, can work out, 
and then you fall behind and it's very demotivating. So immunity actually post-workout is one of the most important factors to consider that I, I feel like a lot of athletes or active people ignore. I agree. And I think if you look at any type of exercise, irrespective of, you know, uh, intensity, duration, frequency, um, if you look at exercise in general, we see in during exercise, we see blood pressure rising, we see atrial fibrillations, we see the immune system tank, we see attenuation in thyroid function, like it actually looks very scary acutely, right? We actually look much more worn down. And to your point, from an immunological perspective, we are much more vulnerable immediately after the workout. There's, it's almost like, I I won't, I won't, um, well, I don't think this is a fair comparison. Um, I was going to say the, um, it's almost like when we have a, a high bolus of sugar, we actually see about two to six hours post consumption, we actually see an attenuation in T cell activity and macrophage activity, et cetera. Now, I don't think that those two stimuli are the same, but it is uh, similar in that post exercise, we are much more vulnerable to uh, you know, viral or bacterial infection, let's say. And anybody who works out regularly knows that getting sick is the absolute worst. It is the worst. And what I was, what I was going to ask you, and um, I think I might be doing this wrong, but I like to take lion's mane after my workout. Uh, be, I, and I know that it has sort of brain boosting uh, effects. It helps with concentration. And I actually sometimes take, I had it this morning before I knew we were going to be getting on this show together so that I know that my, uh, my power of vocabulary and my focus and concentration is is on point, but I actually like to take it right after my workout as well. I mean, one of the sort of maybe lesser known um, benefits to it is again with with immunity. And I w- wondered if you could if you could speak to that. Yeah, actually, I also take it afterwards. We have a Four Sigmatic has a um, protein powder that has five of these adapt five of these mushrooms and two additional adaptogens, and I take it partly for immunity because um, lion's mane has those benefits and. Partly because I'm, I, I feel like it's interesting. Interesting the potential of the the nervous system recovery factor, but obviously again, that's not quite well studied yet. Um, so yeah, it makes total sense. And as far as the shock goes, on be it sugar or exercise, it surely it puts the body in pressure. I just find it fascinating that people don't talk about immunity uh, post workout almost at all. And at the same time, think of the situation: you're trenched in sweat. Some people in AC, like very, uh, sometimes very strong air conditioning. And then you're sitting because you're so tired. You have this euphoria. So you're just sitting in the sweat, recovering for a while and then changing. And I, I feel like those are, those are risky times to easily get sick. And depending where you work out and how you work out, maybe there's other people who are in the same situation. So bacteria and virus have a, good breeding block. So I, I, I would encourage people who work out actively and regularly to consider immune support post-workout as a, as a, as a critical way to stay healthy. I am incredibly bullish on sauna as a therapy for recovery, heart health, and overall aging well. 
I personally decided on an infrared sauna from Sunlighten because of the range of far wavelengths and near infrared wavelengths that it offers. Saunas help with detoxification and rejuvenation to rid your body of toxins. It helps with heart health by improving circulation, reducing blood pressure, and helping keep the arteries supple. It helps with muscle recovery by easing the tension and soreness to recover faster. And of course, stress reduction with the warmth and the relaxation of sitting in a sauna. It's crucial for hormonal balance and achieving a state of well-being necessary for a strong physique and a strong mind. If you visit sunlighten.com slash better and use code better to get a discount. That is sunlighten, S-U-N-L-I-G-H-T-E-N.com slash B-E-T-T-E-R and use code better at checkout. Let's, uh, let's continue the immune conversation a little bit more with, with Chaga. In your book, um, you were talking about um, a study uh, with, I think, I believe it was cancer patients. And they were given, uh, I believe the number was six milligrams per, of Chaga per kilogram of body weight. So six megs per kg. And then ap- after, I, I want to say three weeks, four weeks of taking that specific dosage of Chaga, they looked at the tumors again and they were reduced by up to 60%. Now there's a, cancer is a very uh, broad conversation. It, it is a separate conversation, an entirely separate conversation because it is so multifaceted in terms of its etiology. There's a metabolic component for absolutely. There is a um, immuno, uh, immunological component. Uh, there's also genetic components and all and environment and all the things. Um, but let's talk a little bit about chaga and the ability, uh, we'll say, you know, just with our conversation around immunity, uh, inducing cell apoptosis and the abundant antioxidants that it has. Talk a little bit about chaga and why that is a superfood that we should be considering, maybe post-workout or just as a general uh, tonic. Yeah. Um, cancer, like you said, it's a complex topic and I have to dance around it because, um, you know, as an author, I can have freedom of speech, but as a CEO of a You're of not claiming company, anything here. Yeah, anything. exactly. Yeah. So it's a, yeah. it's a real dance to be had. Um, my dad had cancer a few years ago, luckily now fully healed. And it was interesting to also see the whole cancer industry and, and uh, their reaction to lifestyle and food is so resistant. Like, it's like literally- the it's, not, it's not even a factor. They don't seem don't, to really care. I don't want to throw anybody under the bus, but my dad had a very specific cancer and there's a very famous cancer hospital here in United States um, that had the leading researcher for that cancer type. And uh, we were doing consulting with him or her on uh, what he should take. And it was interesting. I was like, so what about diet and lifestyle? And said the, the leading researcher was like, it literally doesn't matter. And I said like, so beer and bread are the same as you know, bone broth and, you know, chaga. And it's like, yeah, yeah, it doesn't matter at all. I was like, wow. I mean, that's an extreme position to take that lifestyle doesn't matter. Okay. So back to chaga, it's near and dear to me. It grows in, in Finland. The very first book written in the Finnish language included chaga and mentioned it for, for health and immunity purpose. Um, Alexander Solzhenitskin, which is an, uh, a Nobel winning author also mentioned it in book for immunity. So it has a lot of history and um, my ancestors used it as a coffee substitute during second world war. So 
Finns actually sneakily drink more coffee than anyone else in the world, almost three times more than Americans. And when we were attacked both by the Germans and the Russians, we ran out of coffee beans and people drank it. And after the war, University Helsinki did, has done tons of studies on it. And the cancer aside, it has very abundant amount of antioxidants, particularly certain types of black collar pigments, usually as a good rule of thumb, these black compounds in cacao, coffee, black sesame seeds, black olives, chaga are pretty good for longevity. More specifically, chaga is very the highest in melanin, which gives it a black color and super oxase dismutase, which is, you know, one of these master antioxidants. Um, so what does that lead to? It leads to, you know, lower inflammation, um, natural kill cell activity. So these are like reactions of it. But I think the fascinating part about chaga is that it's immunomolatory. So a lot of things you take for immune system, echinea, garlic are stimulants. And especially people who have over already overactive immune response, for example, someone with an autoimmune, it, they get triggered by immunostimulants because their immune system is already confused. So right. what's cool about chaga is the immunomolatory benefit of um, not being immunosuppressant or immunostimulant, but instead of immunomodulatory and modulating the immune response. So I think that's for immune system, pretty interesting concept. Well, that kind of comes back to what we were talking about, sort of giving the, the compound gives you what you need. You know, mm -hmm. if you have, um, let's say you have Hashimoto's thyroiditis or lupus or multiple sclerosis or, or whatever, um, where often I'll say clinically, um, I've noticed specifically with Hashimoto's thyroiditis, cause I, I work with a lot of women that have either hypothyroid, which basically means they mm -hmm. have early hashies, uh, or it's like full blown Hashimoto's. Um, we often find that there are, uh, liver conversion issues of T4 to 3. We find that there's gut issues, like they have hyperpermeability of the of the barrier. So that leaky gut uh, that is kind of become you know, we'll say the layman, you know, that that's sort of what it's called um, yeah. publicly. Uh, but it's like basically hyper uh, permeability of the intestinal wall. Um, and then, of course, dysbiosis. So we have a, you know, you talked about the mycobacterium and, and we know that bacteria and fungi, they compete for the same food sources, right? So if you have an overgrowth of, we'll say, opportunistic uh, bacteria, um, then that's also going to fight off uh, let's say, uh, fungi as well, because they're competing for the same poly they're, they're competing for the same, you know, sugar and, 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 and food sources as well. Um, and I add, uh, one thing on that is you yes. brought up multiple sclerosis and we talked about cordyceps before it is a kind of an uncurable disease, but the one officially FDA approved cure is made by Novartis and it's called Gilenia and it's made out of cordyceps. So the only official drug for MS is based on cordyceps. So I think there's some of these breadcrumbs to follow also on sure. uh, on how how they work on our immune system. And would you uh, if you were, if you had someone, let's say uh, that had MS and they were on this particular drug, would you counsel them to also take cordyceps or suggest that or I believe that's one of those questions where I'm not allowed to answer because <laughs> that's direct the medical answer. advice. Yeah. <laughs> okay. But uh, I think it's interesting, and I think there's a I think there's an increasing amount of the MS community that are opening up to the lifestyle, particularly because they've been so crippled by it. And I think it's true for a lot of the autoimmune um, community. 
um, Hashimoto's and others included. So I think people are waking up uh, yeah. to, to lifestyle implications and diet. And what is the what is the proposed mechanism of action with cordyceps? Like what is this? So we talked about VO2 uh, performance. We talked about mitochondria. We talked about lung performance. What is there any sort of thinking around what might be helping the dysregulated uh, immune system? Yeah, with it's, these- it's the immunomodulatory benefit also with cordyceps. So it's technically calming down the immune response that or directing it to be more precise. So one way to look at it is that your gut will have fungi anyway, you want it or not. It depends on the quality of the fungi. And then that quality of the fungi impacts your immune response. And in the case of most in autoimmune disorders, the immune response has gotten confused where it doesn't know who's an intruder and who's not. And Friend then it has these yeah. flare ups or that's another common <laughs> term that I hear. Um, and in this case, the polysaccharides, particularly the beta glugans and the chagas and the cordyceps, they are like a boot camp for, for the macrophages. And so they're like, I mentioned this word xenohormasis, which is pretty much exclusively used for plants, but it's kind of accurate for fungi as well. But basically is that these plants have created these compounds, these stressors, um, by facing stress themselves, they created compounds that when we ingest, we actually get slight amounts of stress. So, so it's xenos like, is other from Greek and then hormesis is another word for stress. So you're ingesting perfect. the other stress, let's say that that, yes. that compound had to, that mushroom or that whatever had to endure in order to survive. Yeah. And maybe turmeric and spices like cayenne are a more vivid example of that is like you're actually ingesting pain so like think of having a hot pepper and you're sweating and you're uncomfortable but actually like through that workout you actually come out stronger in the end so that's how a lot of the adaptogens beet plants or fungi work is they actually are stress which sounds really well, which is just like what exercise is and, yeah exactly and i mean you know you've had uh, Dr. Gondrian talks about lectins, but like in yeah. a way, those lectins, when they're properly prepared, are stressors. You know, in small dose, they actually make your body stronger. So completely avoiding a food group is actually quite dangerous. Um, and there might be a time and place for a certain healing to happen, but like completely removing these groups is kind of dangerous because the whole point is to stress the body. And what happens in the case of these fungi and you know these various illnesses is that they provide the good stressors and in this case the impact might be that your hyperactive immune response flare up calms down and your body gets like oh this is the type of action like it reteaches um the internal security officers to know who to attack and who not to attack i really love what you're saying because i think that this is uh, a larger conversation or a broader conversation around the adaptations that happen to a to a stress. Not all stress is bad. Like this is something that I've talked about a lot because in 
we'll call it the online expert world that, you know, everyone's like, stress is bad. Stress is always bad. It's like, no, stress is not always bad. Stress forges strength and grit and mental clarity and cellular clarity and cellular grit. I think that it's very, very important in our temperature controlled, you know, world where it's always 72 degrees, you know, and maybe if you're in Austin, which I know Texans, man, they love their air conditioning. So, so do Floridians, holy Hannah. But yes, like all, like you're always in this temperature controlled 72 degrees, let's say environment where we spend 90 to 95% of our time indoors that it would behoove us to maybe get a little uncomfortable, you know, like the cayenne and let's, or the turmeric and the black pepper, you know, example. Uh, I remember once I went for, um, uh, I went for, uh, Indian, like at an authentic Indian, uh, uh, restaurant with my friends who were both, you know, from, uh, the, she was from Sri Lanka and, and he was from uh, India proper. And they were just having like the Vindu, like, like it was nothing. And literally me sitting next to her, I was sweating. <laughs> and I had like the white version butter chicken. Like they were like, oh, there's like a white girl here. Let's just give her the, the butter chicken so we don't get sued. But even me, sitting next to her. She was having like the Vindaloo, whatever she was having, like the super hot, whatever. I was sweating sitting next to her. Like I had yogurt as a profile, like just in case because it was so hot. But I think that those type of stressors, like, you know, temperature, uh, adaptogens from chaga and all the, you know, what we're talking about here today, exercise. Uh, I think all of these actually make us stronger. And it's not, it's yes, you're going to be uncomfortable maybe in the interim, but it's an acute discomfort that forges grit over the long term. Yeah. It's, it's something people don't want to talk about because it shows the downfall of, you know, modern lifestyle. But like, for example, in concentration camps happened to be that certain illnesses such as cancer didn't really exist because they were in constant caloric deficit. Now other issues emerged, but because it was so extreme. Right. Similarly, India, like whoever's been to India, you know how much there's cow poop everywhere and sanitation and, and all kinds of issues. But the high consumption of um, exposure on your skin to toxins combined with high exposure of uh, various spices combined with ghee, uh, for example, is actually <laughs> like quite powerful. And there are people who are in many ways less privileged that actually live a healthier lifestyle. And that's why like America uses more food on pharmaceuticals, but the least uh, more money on pharmaceuticals than any other country in the world and least per capita on food. And I think it shows in just like life expectancy, which is now plateauing and coming down in the last few years. So I think that's just going to happen. And hormonal health, reproduction numbers, you, you've, you've covered, but like, God, those people, numbers are scary. Yeah, yeah. It's like people yeah. like global population, I don't know, has it peaked yet, but it's about to peak. And a lot of people will be unable to have children and uh, they will get sick easier. And that's a lot because they haven't, it's like tough times create tough people, tough great people create good times and good times, good times create, create weak soft people, people soft and people. weak people yeah. create yeah. bad times. And it's yeah. this circle. And so if you can help yourself is whatever it is, like exercise, spices, adaptogens, ice bath, you know, like having those introducing those in, in a conscious way is probably temperature changes um, uh, 
it all tends to make the body much stronger. Yeah. Yeah. There's, um, I think it's like in the last 50 years, testosterone levels or was it, am I messing it up now? Oh no, I think it's sperm count. Sperm count has gone down by 50%. And everybody listening to the show knows someone who has been, who's had trouble conceiving, either getting pregnant, staying pregnant. Um, and of course we often will blame the woman, which is like a, an entirely different conversation. And sometimes it is the woman, but a lot of times it's, it's the, it's the testosterone levels and the sperm quality. Um, it, so purely scientifically, it's way more the men fault, purely scientifically. But one of the reasons of that is that a lot of the female reproduction numbers have not been tracked until as of recently. So there was a long gap on where so the bias you don't reporting. Yeah, yeah, there was no reporting because it was such a taboo. Um, maybe socially women get guilted more, but purely from a scientific point of view, it's pretty bulletproof that men's reproduction is 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 real downhill. And then with women, the jury's out because we don't have the data for such a long time yet. So, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so in terms of adaptogens, let's move into, let's talk yeah. a little bit about adaptogens for sexual health and libido. Um, one of the things I wanted to talk about, um, specifically was my perimenopausal and menopausal women. Um, one of the things I often recommend is Panax ginseng. And of mm -hmm. course, you know, you have the red and the white and all that. Um, but are there, are there adaptogens? Um, you know, we, we've talked about, um, cordyceps with the libido, we saw the yaks and they were getting very excited. And then the Sherpas, uh, are there other adaptogens that we might consider, um, that might augment or improve, uh, sexual function, libido, uh, and have a balancing effect, let's say on hormones. Yeah, there, there is. And I would split it into two groups. There are ones that are very clearly, um, endocrine and circulatory focused. You mentioned two of them, cordyceps, and ginseng, and we can talk about the colors in a bit. Um, there are a few others that kind of do it somewhat similarly. I would probably put maca in that group as yeah. well. Yeah. Um, although there's much more studies on other adaptogens, but it, you know, just in the Andes was less documented. But I would put maca in that group as well. Um, and I think those are interesting, interesting ones. The other ones are more like people who are very high stress um, imagine like losing the V card and you're nervous and like, and then you can't perform because you're nervous. That also happens with adults because in, in this case, you're nervous about something else, stressed about finance or family or kids or whatever it is, but that same nervousness impacts libido a lot. So things that could be helpful there, ashwagandha that we mentioned, Mukuna is used in a lot of like libido focused formulations because it has precursor to dopamine, L-dopa, and then right. a lot of people find that. And then one of the most underrated is cacao, is real cacao that combined maybe with a few of these things and vanilla and things like that. But those are things that can help the mental and the stress response, the mood element of performance. And then through that, you're able to perform better. So I would split those two. One is more of a holistic and the one is more structural. The Chinese would call it Jing and Shen, uh, but the, there's slightly differences. So if you're stressed, not happy, not in the mood, literally people say I'm not in the mood, it tends to focus more, I would say, the the ashwakanda, the mukuna, the cacao. And then if you're hey. I'm in the mood, I need to get more oomph, 
is the ginseng cordyceps um, type of things. So let's talk about the let's talk about ginseng and some of the different um, colors. Often red is often the I, I often if I am going to counsel someone to pick up ginseng, it's going to be the uh, red ginseng. It's usually yep. a perimenopausal or menopausal woman that I'm telling to do that. Um, talk a little bit about the different colors and and what they mean in terms of, I know that there's black as well. So talk about um, how those are all different and what we might look out for as consumers. Yeah. Besides turmeric and cacao, probably ginseng is the most household herb and also the most household adaptogen. The good news is that it is amazing. And there's so much studies, like along with Rishi, it's the most studied of these adaptogens. Negative is there's a lot of marketing hype. You can go to a gas station, buy a, a pill <laughs> for this purpose that is said to have ginseng. Um, there's also a lot of marketing, like ashwagandha is called Indian ginseng. Maca is called Peruvian ginseng. Rhodiola is called the Nordic ginseng. None of these are ginsengs. There is kind of like three main fo- forms of ginseng. The most studied is the Asian ginseng or the Korean ginseng. It's Panax ginseng is the, the Latin name. And it comes in a few colors. Then there's an American ginseng and then there's another ginseng. Um, what's interesting to me is while adaptogens are safe and for everyone, there is still elements of our body and that's differences with age, uh, genetics and gender that can impact, for example, temperature. And I think that's for, for this purpose, really relevant one. So for example, the classic example is, is the, the guy is constantly hot, sleeping, and then the woman is cold, right? So that means their bodies are hot and cold. And then when the hormonal shift happens, tends to flip flop, right? Men start to get like constantly cold and then women start to heat up, right? So there's even a time element. So the red ginseng and the panax ginseng tends to be more heating. So actually like it's more, it's better usually for women um, like under 40, under 45. And I would actually not recommend it to guys until they are at least active use, depending on the body type and lifestyle. But for most men, it's actually better when they age and then help boost testosterone at an older age versus the American ginseng is much more cooling. So like it might be the opposite for women. So maybe you're on the right panax ginseng earlier on, but these are very individual. These are very broad stroke generic comments because they're for every guy who's hot all the time. We can find a guy who's cold. So it's, it's individual, but from a generic point of view, there's a lot of ginsengs that are not ginsengs and then the type of ginseng matters to what your goals are and then finally um you want to buy a ginseng that is at least a few years old ideally six to seven years old so it's basically like these bugs biting on the roots of the ginseng and that's what you're consuming is the root in this case so different plants you use the leaf or the fruit or the whatever in this case you use the root and the bugs bite biting on the ginseng root actually increase like the compounds that we're trying to benefit from like the ginsenicide. So there is an element of like, if you pick a too young of a ginseng, it hasn't, doesn't have these compounds yet that you're trying to seek. Therefore it has to be old enough, the ginseng to have enough of stressors itself to be able to help with our health benefits. So you know, not all products are created equal, which is pretty obvious, but in the supplement biohacking world, that 
quality factor often gets ignored and or it's ignored by some marketing message saying that this is the best ginseng in the world, which is, you know, or we're calling things ginseng that aren't even ginseng. Yes, it's very common. Yeah. For example, with Rishi, I I don't know the ginseng statistics, but with there was a study, USB study that was published in science about um, the the Rishi supplements sold in the US and 74% of the Rishi supplements in the US didn't include any Rishi mushroom. So it really is the wild, wild west. <laughs> you really do have to be careful and and understand the company who you're buying from. Like if you're buying it, as you mentioned, from the from the gas station, it's pr- the likelihood of it being a quality source of reishi or ginseng or whatever uh, is going to be low. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it is. But it's also like not every TikTok Instagram brand is any better. It's like they... So it's like, it could also be weirdly like Costco, I know has one of the highest quality standards on whatever you sell. So like, it might be surprising also where you find like authentic products in a way. Mm -hmm. Do you have any recommendations for consumers in terms of how we, so, and and you can plug your company if you'd like. in the Shameless book, plug, so, but you know, I love, and I, and I'll say, I love the products that Four Sigmatic um, puts out. I think that they're, um, you don't put too many things in it. It's, I can feel like, like, for example, when I take the lion's mane uh, mushroom coffee, like I do feel a lift. I feel like my brain is very much firing on all cylinders, which is really lovely, especially when I need to perform like, you know, podcasts like this. Um, but is there a way that we can, let's say, uh, if we want to be smarter consumers, of adaptogenic products are there any guidelines or guideposts that you might have like one of the things i always say if it says proprietary blend on it don't buy it like i hate people that put that on the label because that for me that just uh it's like you're hiding your work i like people to show their work i want to know exactly what's in the product so are there any other guideposts that you might suggest for people when they're looking to buy adaptogens yeah and that's one of the reasons why i wrote the book healing adaptogens because it was like I wish this book would have existed 10, 20 years ago when I was starting and trying to learn this. And I wanted to write a book that is relevant for many years to come and decades to come. And, you know, brands change, like a brand could be good for a while and then it's not, right? Right. So kind of five key things to consider, and this is true not just for adaptogens, but pretty much all natural products, is one is the genus, like, is it really ginseng or is it what it says it is? So that's one. Second is the part. Um, all these supplement facts panels should say if they're using the leaf, the root, the whatever. And in the book, I explain what part you should be using. Um, so that's important. And then the dose. So that's important is like, are you getting enough? And like, again, like if you're getting 80 in a small scoop, 80 of these adaptogens, you're probably not getting any or 75, you're not getting any. So like, it's all just it's called pixie dusting in the industry. So by putting a little bit on the label, you can claim that you have it in the product. Um, let alone, by the way, there can be a 20% delta. So you can be 20% off according to FDA allows for you to have a mistake on your label, wow. which is mm-hmm. also insane. Um, purity. That is insane. Yeah. So once you know that you're getting the right thing, are you getting it enough of the thing? Are you getting a form that is bioavailable? And that's different for different products. And then is it pure? So 
while certified organic is not bulletproof, it usually guarantees a lot of things, including with these products. So having it an, a non-organic product, and there's all these companies that say they're like beyond organic or that organic is really expensive. Like organic is a few hundred bucks. So a year, depending on those expectations. So it's just also like if it's organic, why wouldn't you put it on the label and get credit for it? Like if you buy organic and don't put it on the label, isn't it real weird? Like you're, um, you do go on all the work, but you're not getting the credit for it. So right. yeah, I think there's also sustainability factors with some adaptogens, but yeah, generally I would say focus on the genus, the form, is it bioavailable? Is there enough of it? Is it pure? And I wanted to, um, I know we've been talking about functional uh, mushrooms and adaptogens uh, for our conversation. And we talked a little bit about culinary mushrooms. I also didn't want to leave this conversation without talking about psychedelic uh, mushrooms as well, because this has been, um, you know, I've talked publicly about my own uh, sort of therapy with, uh, we'll call it um, non, not mushrooms, but let's say other um, classes of, of drugs for my own, in my own healing journey, like MDMA. Um, but I've also had some beautiful experiences with mushrooms, um, psychedelic mushrooms, that is. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to, uh, first I wanted to, uh, I've heard you tell the story and I just, I, I've, I listened to it so many times in preparation for our conversation. I wanted you to share it with my audience around the origins, uh, the psychedelic potential psychedelic origins of uh, our story of Santa Claus. And then uh, maybe we can move into a conversation around psychedelics um, themselves. Yeah, <laughs> well, very long story short, Santa Claus, which is arguably the most famous person in the world, you know, known beyond any religion or culture, is actually one of the most misunderstood stories, um, which is not uncommon. A lot of the holidays or holy days that we celebrate have some sort of unique heritage that we've forgotten, be it Easter, fertility festival. it yeah. from other, yes, like pagan, yes. Yeah, pagan roots, but also like over time, the story has shifted. So like, it's kind of a game of telephone, like you tell your friend who tells a friend who tells a friend and the story changes. So it's funny that today, this like, world's most famous person is promoting sugar water and commercial uh, consumerism, where the origin of it is around death and psychedelics. So long story short, like the version of Santa Claus we know today is from New York or New Amsterdam, as it was called. It was brought there by the Dutch. They have this character called Sinterklaas. Sinterklaas was stolen from the Germans. A lot of people think St. Nicholas is German. It's actually Turkish. So the Germans got their tradition from the Italians. Italians stole the grape from Turkey. So it was a time when this kind of like pagan story was Christianized and combined with this Turkish bishop, St. Nicholas, but there's no reindeers in Turkey. And if you start to track back, pretty much all the Slavic people way before St. Nicholas, even today, are, are celebrating this Father Frost, Dead Moros. So even if you talk to your friends in Ukraine or Russia or wherever today, they don't celebrate Santa Claus. But a character who's identical to Santa Claus, pretty much, um, but it's like a, it's a different story and it's much older. And the Russians got it from the last indigenous culture left in Europe called the Sami that have been around for eight to 10,000 years. So if the ice age ended, call it 
11, 13,000 years ago, right after the Sami's been around. They're in Norway, Sweden, Finland, and parts of Russia, and they're semi-nomadic reindeer herders. So here comes the reindeers. Mm. It's the area where reindeers are. So it's the native and they celebrate very along with nature. And this is an area where in the summer, there is no night at all, 24 hours of sunlight. And then in the winter, it's pretty much almost full day of darkness. So winter solstice is the original time of winter solstice aligns with Christmas. There was a shift Correct. in calendars. Correct. Yeah. And now that's it's like, like three, three days, days as well. Right. I think that there's, but that's maybe more of a historical, uh, more of a, uh, there's a religious yeah, conversation, but yeah. The Julian and Gregorian calendar shifted, but it's kind of, it was like winter solstice and they would host a ceremony and Santa Claus, which is actually a shaman would go from village to village to do the ceremonies. Reindeer are the domesticated mammal to go in the snow and go to these teepees that are called Kota. And they're, they're like a big teepee and there's a hole at the top and it often snows a lot in this winter time and you get snowed in. So your secondary entrance is through the chimney in the Kota. You can climb up and come down and they would come with a sack of gifts and they would do a ceremony of a psychedelic um, called Amanita muscaria. It's the most famous mushroom in the whole world while nobody really knows its name it's the one mushroom emoji on your phone it's the one that super mario eats and gets bigger it's Toad. the one on like yeah. old disney yeah. movies mm -hmm. it's everywhere but mm -hmm. you don't know but it's actually a legal psychedelic in all but one state in the u.s legal, legal? legal. yeah it's mm -hmm. it's legal it grows pretty much in every country in the world it grows under the christmas tree the spruce so if you go to um, Rockefeller Center in New York or wherever, you have a Norwegian spruce tree. And from the roots in in Harmony grows this Amanita where like under the Christmas trees where you have the gifts. And in the fall time around September, the shaman would have gone under the Christmas tree to pick up the first Christmas presents and then dry them over a fire like a sock type of like story. a stocking kind of yeah, yeah stocking to dry mm -hmm. it so it doesn't get mold and then it would ingest it uh the psychedelic in the winter and then reindeers would fly and other dreams would come and there's a whole story of the mythology of like why they go and they talk to ancestors but it's really beautiful it's about family why do they go why do they go and talk to ancestors uh for wisdom so there's a lot of like lessons so again it's probably a, a longer conversation about philosophy animism and like how what is god and who is god and what are spirits and it's somewhat different from from our reverence for the dead yes which, which and, i think is not discussed at all in north american society and they they did it yearly so this midsummer which is no night is a fertility festival and the whole point is about birth so the whole point is about fertility and new beginnings and birth and then winter which is christmas um is about death and remembering death and this cycle and actually psychedelics often remind you of both either universal love or about like getting comfortable with the fact that we're all going to die and the people we cared most or care most about have died or will die and and processing that knowledge is really valuable 
So it that's really, yeah. I mean, that's, that's the a, Santa Claus story. That's <laughs> that's the elevator pitch for why the uh, commercial holiday today is uh, not really what it seems. I, it it always seemed a bit weird. I was like, why is there a big red suit, reindeers, and Jesus, and this at all at the same time? And I've, I've, um, you know, I don't really talk too much about this publicly because, of course, it's going to offend someone somewhere, and you know, I don't necessarily want to do that. But um, yeah, a lot of a lot of the things that we view as Christianity are actually borrowed from, you know, Isis is the analog to Mary, and Horus the Sun analog to Jesus, and all of these different things, and. Um, one of the things that I've been thinking about more, and this might be me in my old age, but or as I'm kind of coming into my own in my 40s, is I, I think about death more and more, not in a morbid way, but as a reminder that nothing is promised. Like every, not, nothing, like I, I could not wake up tomorrow or something traumatic could happen or, you know, like all that is right now, it's important to be present to what is because at some point it's not going to be here anymore. And mm -hmm. I think that the way that, uh, you know, Instagram and society as a whole uh, is really scared of, of death, is really scared of aging. I mean, you see this, like women, we are taught that if once we, you know, past 40, it's like you're, you know, what you're not fertile anymore, or you're not, you know, you're washed up, or you're not important anymore. Um, so I think that there's this um, uh, lack of reverence for our elders and our well-lived um, family members, friends, um, counsel, um, who have a lot more to say because they've had the experiences that we haven't yet, uh, but we lock them up in nursing homes and we don't, we don't want to see their, you know, their decaying bodies, uh, let's say, or their decrepit, you know, the skin that's sagging or the diseases that they have. And I think that, um, there are many societies, um, it sounds like, uh, you've, you've had some exposure to this, but there's, there are many societies that do talk about death all the time so that they remind themselves to live because everybody lives, right? Everyone's going to die, but not everybody lives, right? Ha or, so, you know, something, the saying goes something like that. Yeah, for sure. It's like memento mori is obviously the fame, famous Latin, but like remembering right. that you're going to die is giving gratitude and joy for today that you're right. living. So, you know, we're all going to die one day that's going to be true is it's just remembered and live. Yes. <laughs> well said. Um, so with psychedelics um, or with mushrooms, let's say um, I've had some, uh, I don't know if I would classify them as shaman, but I'll say guides um, say that it's important to be, to get familiar with these types of trips, let's say um, several times a year. Um, is there any, um, thinking or opinions that you may have, um, you know, either through your own experience or others that you've spoken with in terms of the usefulness of psychedelics, how often that might be useful in someone's healing journey. And of course, again, it depends. I understand that there's like a different journey. We have, we have, we all come from different environments. We have different upbringings, but one of the things that I've, um, I've come to understand is that we're all more alike than we are different. Right. So even something that, um, even, even though we may have had different upbringings or different environments that we grew up in, we all want at least to some degree, the same thing. We want to be loved. We want to be seen. We want to be, we want to be understood. We want to be heard, um, by someone. Uh, is there any, in terms of, um, psychedelic use 
uh, and even specific types that you would say that have been particularly useful for you or people that you've spoken to? Yeah. Um, so when we talk about psychedelic mushrooms, we usually talk about various psilocybin varieties, not so much the Amanita for a good reason. I cannot, I should have said that in the Santa Claus story. I do not recommend that psychedelic while legal, you should not probably try it. Like it's really like for very few people, let's mm -hmm. just put it this way for various reasons. And, uh, and, but the psilocybin tends to be incredibly safe and completely non-addictive. There is no overdose. Um, and the research on it is overwhelmingly positive. About two thirds of people using it will have profound results for different things from like quitting smoking to depression to you other positive impacts. And more and more studies are coming up uh, unfortunately, there was a big war on drugs, so it's been left behind. Um, with psychedelics, it, there is a risk that the pendulum swings from extreme no to extreme yes, and I'll kind of start to see that. Particularly with psilocybin, I'm pretty worried about like microdosing. I don't really believe uh, as much, or at least how it's subscribed. If you build tolerance, there's a serotonin receptor with psilocybin, and you build tolerance, and how people microdose is not really the thing, um, how it works. And I'm actually a much believer of macrodosing or heroic doses, very high dosage, few times in your life, or at least not like every month. And it is hilarious even with things like ayahuasca. I met this real shaman who started the shaman training at the age of three. A lot of these people, these healers were very sick as a baby and that's how they were chosen to the training. And then they, and she was in something in her fifties and she was like talking that of working with the mother ayahuasca and said, she has a lot of experience over the last many decades of working with it. And she's taken it as many as 12 times. And in the audience was a lot of like community members were pro psychedelics and probably more than half the room had taken it more than 12 times. And she's like a professional shaman. So I think there's a real, potential issue on abuse, but overall they are very safe, particularly psilocybin is very safe. Um, and more often than not offers positive impact. But what I would encourage people to do is finding a larger dose <laughs> less often and enough time to truly integrate whatever is coming out of it and then prepare for the next one. So and that the set and setting, I think, is really important. Yes. Like, what are you doing going into it? It's not like you're at a party with a hundred people that you don't know. Like there's, it's a sacred space, and it's there's an intention around healing, and there's an intention around getting to know yourself in in all the dimensions that you are. Set and setting, and then the proper integration after, and yeah. that integration could take many months, honestly. Yeah. Like depending on on various factors, sometimes a full year. So like taking them one time a year might be a better idea than taking them every month but again everybody for their own i'm a huge proponent of for all these things is freedom and everybody choosing for their own i would just um word of caution both from a scientific literature today but also from experiencing many many people in my life who've, who've gone from absolute no to drugs drugs to yes to everything and usually the answer is somewhere in the middle right and uh 
it's an interesting journey and i find more promise with psychedelics than almost anything else for society consciousness and humanity and i fundamentally think we're kind of screwed as humanity unless we do a corrective action towards better in many forms of life but i think human consciousness is kind of one of those key factors and this is one of the most profound ways to shift human consciousness so i'm a huge proponent of psychedelics but it doesn't not there is a, this disclaimer and i'm somewhat worried about the next few years of what's coming down the pipe yeah, but yeah maybe it's still better than the the alternative so i'm here for all of it right i love that thank you so much um taro this has been so wonderful if people want to learn more about you about your company please tell them where they can find you are you on social media websites podcasts where and of course i'll have links to um some of the products that i love in the show notes as well but please please tell people where they can interact more with you if they want to find out more about your work yeah i'm really bad with social media honestly i'm on instagram at i am taro t-e-r-o posting subpar average content plus cute <laughs> photos of my family and uh way to sell then, it way to sell it <laughs> yeah and then four sigmatic post premium content so four sigmatic at all channels so um yeah i i, I just took a six-month hiatus off of instagram which is the only social media i use and now i've been actively using and trying to learn how to use it and i sometimes laugh at my own content it's like who cares? But anyway, uh, find me on Instagram or um, and all social channels to Four Sigmatic and we'll put out content. And then if you want, read one of my books. I have one on the Santa Claus and Amanita. It's a children's book. I have one book on mushrooms, one book on adaptogens coming up. So you can find those wherever books are sold, bookstores and Amazon and whatnot. Amazing. I will put links for all of that. Taro, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for your wisdom today. I know it's going to be very valuable to my audience and I really enjoyed having this conversation with you. Thanks for having me on. It was a blast. All right. All right. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and I must give you the obligatory legal and medical disclaimer here. This podcast, Better with Dr. Stephanie, is for general information only and the advice, recommendations we discuss do not replace medicine, chiropractic or any other primary healthcare provider's advice, treatment or care. In the consumption of this podcast, there is no doctor-patient relationship that has been formed and the use and implementation of the information discussed are at the sole discretion of the listener. The information and opinions shared on this podcast are not intended to be a substitute for primary care, diagnosis, or treatment. In other words, guys, be smart about this. Take it with a grain of salt. Take this information to your primary healthcare provider and have a discussion with him or her to make the best choice that is for you. Remember, I am a doctor, but I am not your doctor. And these conversations are meant for educational purposes only.